Good morning, Northridge. How are you guys? Good to see you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. We're so honored you're here, especially for your guests. Thank you so much for being here. We're not going to make you stand up or point you out or anything, but we want you to know we're really glad you're here. We want to welcome those of you watching online. We're so glad you guys are with us as we're kicking off a brand new series today called A Thrill of Hope. So it's going to be a great Christmas series. It's all about exactly what it sounds like. It's about hope. And I'm excited about it because who doesn't need hope, right? We all need hope. So uh, as we kind of jump into this, I want you to like just kind of lean into this one a little bit. Give me everything you got. Okay, I know you're probably tired from staying up late, watching a game last night maybe. It turned out well, so you got a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. I knew if you didn't identify with anything in the sermon today, you would at least like that. So you got that. But hope's an interesting topic, and that's why I'm really excited about kind of diving into it throughout the month of December. And there's a lot to think about when you think about hope and the implications it has for all of our lives. And hope's an interesting virtue of all virtues, uh, hope, when it is not focused on something good, that virtue ceases to be good. There's other virtues that don't work that way, but hope does. And a couple observations that I've made about hope just from studying human behavior is that first of all, the longer you have to wait for whatever it is you're waiting for, whatever you're longing for in your life, the longer you have to wait, the more difficult it is to hold on to hope. And another observation, which I think is really interesting, but what I've discovered is that sometimes holding on to hope for Christians can be even more difficult for those who are unbelievers which doesn't make a lot of sense when I first say it, but think about it this way. As a Christian, if you are a Christian, I'm not making that assumption that all of you are, but for those of you who have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternity, um, you also, by being a Christian, subscribe to the fact that you believe that God is powerful, right? That God can do things. God can do big things. God can change things. You believe that in your heart. And so it becomes a little more frustrating sometimes as a Christian when life isn't working out the way you thought life was going to work out because you're trusting and surrendering to a God that you know has the power to change something. But for whatever reason in that moment, he's not. And so that's an interesting issue. And like, what, what do we do with that? Because that, that's real. That's real. And some of you are at a place right now where life isn't turning out the way you thought it was going to turn out. You're waiting for something, and whatever it is you're waiting for or longing for is really important to you. For some of you, it's to get married, and it's been a dream of yours for a long time. For whatever reason, it's just not working out. And Christmas time is another reminder, right? You see all these other couples. You're watching all these Hallmark movies. You should just stop watching them. <laughs> just stop. Like, because like, you're really convinced right now. You're like, I'm going to quit my, my marketing job in the big city, and I'm gonna move out to some small town. And my first day there, I'm gonna go buy a Christmas tree. And there's a really good looking guy who owns the Christmas tree lot. And his business is struggling. He's about to have to shut down. But I have a marketing degree, and we're the perfect match. I don't mean to make light, right, of, of the situation, but, right, it's a struggle right now. Some, for some of you, what you're waiting for is to have a child. 
And you want to have kids so bad. Like, again, it's been a dream for a long time for, for you. And it, it's just not happening. And again, Christmas makes it even more difficult. You're getting these Christmas cards from your friends who have kids and these perfect little pictures of them all dressed up. And it's just another reminder that you're not really where you want to be. Some of you are waiting on a job to magically open up. You're waiting on a relationship to be healed. You're estranged from someone in your family. And you just want there to be some kind of reconciliation so that this Christmas isn't as awkward as it's been in the past. For some of you, it's a financial thing. I have no idea, but what I know is that the vast majority of you are probably waiting and longing for something in your life that's currently not happening. And some of you are waiting with hope, but some of you are waiting with no hope. You've lost hope. And whenever you lose hope, by very defini definition, it means essentially that you're living in despair. And despair is when you get to a place in your life where you simply believe that tomorrow is not gonna be any better than today. That this next week will be no better than last week. That 2024 will not be better than 2023. You've given up hope. You've got a voice in your head that's constantly on repeat that says it's always gonna be this bad. It's never gonna work out for you. It's never gonna get better. You're never gonna get better, so just give up. I've told you before that I think one of the worst mistakes that we can make as human beings is to believe everything that we think. Science tells us you have about 70,000 thoughts a day, but only 5% of those thoughts are new thoughts, which means that for most of us, our thoughts are on this loop, right? They're just on, on repeat over and over and over again until you actually start to believe that that's reality. And so every once in a while, what has to happen is you have to break that loop. There has to be a new truth. There has to be a new thought. There has to be a new belief that you enter into your mind. And that's all I want to do today. I want to just give you a few things, a few reminders about Christmas that maybe trigger some new thoughts, some better thoughts, some more hope-filled thoughts that will get you through this season and get you through this life. And I think this is really important because when you look at the, the first Christmas story, it really is a story about hope, and not just any kind of hope. It was a sustainable hope, not a hope that just lasts for weeks or years or even decades. This was a hope that extended from generation to generation to generation. We named this series um, from a line in a famous Christmas song, Oh Holy Night. And there's that line in the song that says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Well, why was it weary? Why were they weary? They were weary because they had been waiting so long. They'd been waiting so long for this promised savior, for this new thing that was supposed to happen. For centuries, the people of God waited and longed for the arrival of a savior. It had been promised to them for generation after generation. About actually 75 generations from the time of the first promise of a coming savior to when we hear this first cries in a manger. And you gotta look at this story and say, how, how did they do that, right? How, 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 yes, they were weary, but they still clinged on to hope. And it's a good question because some of you are weary and you're wondering, how do I continue to cling on to hope? And the only answer I can find is that they simply cling to the promises of their God. That's essentially what they did. They just clinged on to promises. There's about 300 promises in the Old Testament, 300 prophecies that talk about this coming Savior. Here's just one. I'll give you an example. This is Jeremiah 23. 
It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. There's promises, 300 of them, right? Just promises of what is to come. And they cling to those promises, generation after generation after generation, holding out hope that God would do what it is that he said he was gonna do, that God would actually come through in a powerful way. Now, I think a lot of times we fail to appreciate what it would have been like for them to wait. You know, you hear these stories in the Bible and you forget that they're human beings, just like me and just like you. And for centuries, they're holding on the hope of this promise. And every Israelite girl who got pregnant wondered if she had a son and if she had a son, could it possibly be the one? Could it be the savior? And to complicate matters even further, from the end of the Old Testament, where we have the recordings of all the prophecies in the Old Testament, all the events in the Old Testament, from that moment to where we pick up in the New Testament with the cry of baby Jesus in the manger, there's 400 years of silence. 400 years, they hear nothing from God. They just have to cling on to these promises that God is gonna be faithful, that God is gonna develop. And for some of you, that's the season you're in. You feel like God's silent. You feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You, you wonder if God knows, you wonder if he cares. And, and it's like everything in the Christian life prepares you to hear God speak, but nothing prepares you for his silence. But the first thing I'm gonna remind you about Christmas is Christmas is a reminder that at times, God has been silent, but he has never been absent. He's been silent, He's never been absent. He's always been there. And so all the Israelites are wondering, can this God be trusted? Is the Messiah coming? Is God a person of his word? Can he be trusted? Um, I heard a story years ago about this guy who proposed to his girlfriend. And uh, it's a pretty elaborate deal. So he shows up one morning and he picks her up in his car just at her house. She has no idea what's going on. They get in the car. She knows that they're going out on some kind of date. He drives the car to the lake. They get to the lake. He's got a boat waiting for her. They get in the boat and they're just kind of messing around out in the lake. And they stop at this little island that's in the middle of the lake. And he's got this picnic prepared for her. And, you know, they go out there and they have this picnic. And then eventually they get back in the boat. They go back to the dock where he had left his car. When they get there, there's a limo. And this is the first moment where it kind of hits her like, this could be the day. Like, this could be, like, he might be actually asking me to marry him. So they get in the limo. They drive to the local little airport. At the airport, he has a small plane waiting for her. They get in the small plane. I, I think they flew like, a, it was like an hour, right? This is in West Virginia. They land on this grass airstrip. When they land, he's got a beat up old truck, a total piece of junk that's waiting there. They get in the truck, they drive to this little small Christian college in West Virginia, and there's a chapel on the campus. They walk into the chapel, he's got rose petals all the way up the aisle, he's got candles lit, and there's a giant card up in the front of the chapel. She walks up, she opens the card, and all it says is, will you? And she turns around and he's down on one knee and proposes to her. She says yes, as you might imagine. Uh, they go out to eat, and at dinner, he explains to her that all the different modes of transportation that they used throughout the course of the day were meant to represent 
different seasons of the marriage that they were about to go into. This guy's good, let's be honest. Like, if you're married, you should probably turn to your wife right now and just say, I'm sorry. I should have done better, right? Like, and, and I'm sorry for all the single women here, like this is ruining it for you because no matter what the guy ends up doing, it's just not gonna be enough, you know? It's, it's not. But he goes into this explanation, right? And he says, okay, so the car I picked you up in, my car, is just gonna represent the normal days. We're gonna have a lot of normal days. And then he went on to explain all the promises that he you know, was gonna be there and be present through all the normal days. He says, the boat represents adventure. We're gonna go on lots of adventures of, as a couple. And here are my promises to you about adventures and chasing the different adventures you wanna chase in life. He said, the limo represents a season of prosperity. We're gonna have seasons of prosperity and the temptation in those seasons is to get fixated on the money or on the stuff or on the gifts and all that. And I'm promising you that I won't pay attention to any of that. I'm gonna stay focused on you. He said, um, the plane represents our spiritual life. And there's gonna be some bumps along the way, but together we're gonna to soar and we're gonna seek Jesus together. And he said, the beat up old truck represents that we're gonna grow old together. And there's gonna be seasons that are really tough and really hard and we're gonna get a lot of dents and maybe in some crashes along the way, but I'm here for you every step of the way. All right, that's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing proposal, right? Which reminds me, I'm gonna throw this in, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but for you single guys, this is just some free advice. Um, when you get engaged, uh, your, your future wife is gonna be asked two questions thousands of times between the time she gets engaged and she gets married. And two questions are to this. Number one, all of her friends are gonna say, can I see the ring? Now there's only so much you can do about that, okay? Based on season of life and where you're at. But I will say this, the smaller the ring, probably the better the proposal should be. Just, I'm just a, a guess, okay? Just a guess. The second thing, that they're gonna ask her over and over and over is how did he propose? So you gotta think through that, right? Because if you just like take the ring and put it in a can of peanut butter and then at lunchtime ask her for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, <laughs> she's gonna tell that story a thousand times and you're gonna look like an idiot a thousand times. So just think through this. I've been collecting stories all weekend. I met a couple last night, been married 42 years. He put the ring in a bag of fries from McDonald's. But it worked. He still has to tell the story and look like an idiot, but it worked, 42 years, it's phenomenal. I talked to a guy this morning, get this. He bought his girlfriend a dishwasher and hid the ring in the dishwasher. It's like saying, honey, would you spend the rest of my life with me and do my dishes for eternity? It's like, guys, we gotta, I, you may not be romantic, but Google it. Like, you can come up with something better than some fries and a dishwasher. Like, I promise you, you'll want to invest a little time. But my point is this, amazing proposal, right? Lots of amazing promises in there. It's a pretty good start. But wouldn't it be true that if you made all those kind of grand promises in a proposal, and didn't make an effort, right, to actually try to fulfill some of those promises, then what would happen is there would be a mountain of bitterness that would be insurmountable, right? You go over the top with the promise, you better deliver, right? Because the power isn't in the promise, the power is in the promise kept. And so all of Israel is wondering, we're holding on to all these promises, 300 promises about this coming hope, about something new, about a savior, 
We're in the dark. We're promised light. When's it coming? Can God be trusted? And the reality is in that story, that guy making the proposal, like he doesn't really know what's to come. He doesn't really know yet about the joys and the sorrows. You know, he doesn't really know about the beat up truck. He knows there's gonna be a beat up truck, but he didn't know how beat up that truck's gonna get. He has no idea, right? But God did know and God continues to know. And so Christmas is also a reminder to us that God not only makes promises, he keeps promises. Everyone in Israel is wondering, can we trust this God? Can we trust him? Will he come through? And as we know, as Christians, he did. Galatians 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent a son, born of a woman, born under the law. Key phrase here is at the set time. That's what makes things tricky, right? Is if we're honest, we don't know the time. God knows the time, but we don't know the time at the set time. And the reality is God not only made promises to the Israelites about the coming Savior, he's made dozens and dozens and dozens of promises to every single one of you. Scripture is full of them. Here's a few. Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Countless of you have done this and you believed in this promise. You believed in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. You put your faith in him and the promise is you will be saved. You can claim that promise for yourself right now in this very moment if you want to. There's so many promises. Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of, of his glory in Christ Jesus. So you either believe that or you don't believe that, that he has the power to meet all your needs. Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Anybody ever experienced that promise fulfilled in their life? I know I have time and time again when I felt like I could not take another step. God gave me the strength to keep going. John 14 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Anybody find themselves today needing a little bit of peace? See, our God not only makes promises, he fulfills those promises. And I know some of you are so tired of waiting. You're so tired of all the cliche religious phrases, but I'm telling you, listen, don't doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. When life gets hard and it feels like it's falling apart, when you've been waiting and longing for so long that you're ready to give up, when it feels really dark, don't doubt in that darkness. Don't doubt in that emptiness what God told you in the light. Third reminder about Christmas is this. Christmas is a reminder that just because a dream is delayed does not mean that it's denied. What I know is true for almost all of us when we're stuck in a season of waiting is that we jump to the assumption that we're doing nothing. I talk to people all the time who are in a season in their life that they don't wanna be in. And they're waiting and they're longing. And the more we talk about the situation and the more we talk about the circumstances, what becomes clear to me from their very words is this frustration over, I'm stuck. I have done everything I know how to do. I can't pray anymore. I've jumped through all the hoops. I've done everything everybody has told me to do. I've exhausted all my options and, and I'm frustrated because I can't do anything. But see, when you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. In fact, when you're waiting, you're doing one of the most important things you can do, which is allowing your hope to grow up. You're allowing your hope to mature. And if you can't, if you can't hope 
even when there's no circumstantial reasons to hope, you, you just can't become the person that God's created you to be. And you gotta stop looking at your current situation as if God is doing something to you. He's not doing something to you. He might be doing something for you. He might even be doing something through you. But trust me, God is not doing something to you. When I think about this first Christmas story and I think about the 75 generations of people that existed from that first promise of Jesus to the baby in the manger, I think about all that time period. Listen, they weren't doing nothing. They were doing the most important thing they could do, which was holding on to hope and passing that hope from generation to generation to generation. And keeping hope alive in your life is so important because when you keep hope alive, it keeps your eyes open, right? And your eyes are open and you're seeking and you're scanning and you're looking for God to act in your life. And the reason this is so important when it comes to hope is because often what it is that we hope for ends up coming in a very different form than what we're visualizing. And it's easy to miss. Sometimes you get so fixated on how you think your life should turn out, who you think you should be with, right? What you think, where you think you should live, where you, all these different, you get fixated on that. And you lose hope because it's not working out the way you thought. But if you can keep hope alive and keep your eyes open and keep seeking and keep scanning, you might find out that that hope is coming in a very different form than what you visualized. It's true. Right, for the Israelites, I doubt there are too many people on Christmas, that very first Christmas, who are wandering around looking for the Savior as a baby in a manger born to peasants. It came in a very different form than what most of them imagined. So don't give up, don't quit, don't throw it in the towel, don't, don't walk away. Do the most important thing that you could possibly do right now, which is hold on to hope. And the fourth reminder about Christmas is that Christmas is a reminder that true hope develops when you accept God's power and his timing, right? And, and again, this is the hard part. This is the really hard part. True hope doesn't come from just believing God has power. True hope has to come when you also couple that with believing that he has the perfect timing, right? You, you gotta have both those. We want God's power, but often we don't want his calendar, right? We want God's hand, but we don't want his timing. But part of surrendering is saying, I'm gonna trust God's power and I'm also gonna trust his timing. It rubs against the way most of us wanna live our life because most of us wanna live our life the same way we drive. We wanna get from point A to point B in the fastest way possible, right? I mean, I have an app on my phone to help me with that punch in the address of anywhere I'm going, even if I know how to get there, because it calculates traffic and all these other things. I know it's gonna get me from point A where I'm at to point B where I wanna go in the fastest way possible, right? And, and you start to look at life that way. You start to visualize life in, in that kind of way, uh, this way of, um, I don't care about the process. I don't even care about who I'm becoming. I just want what it is that I want. See, what I'm discovering about life is that God's a little less interested in where I'm going and is a lot more interested in who I'm becoming in the process. Right? God cares more about our character than he does our comfort. And I've gotta trust him in that process. Now I know, 
I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say these things. It's a whole nother thing for those of you who are waiting and longing for something really important to you. And you've got questions, and that's fair. You know, why, why is it that you can't have children? I, I don't know, right? Well, why is it that your marriage isn't turning around? I don't know. Why isn't that job just opening up? Why aren't the finances turning around? Why can't you find reconciliation with that friend? Why aren't you being healed? I don't know. Is, is, is there something that, some responsibility that you need to take? Is there something you need to be doing different? Is, is, are things gonna change? Is this just a result of living in a broken world? I don't know. I've been very honest with you guys before. I, I have more questions than I have answers. And I realize for some of you that's frustrating because you're like, you're the guy up on the stage with a mic and all you can say is, I don't know? Yeah, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a whole lot that I can't explain about my life and certainly about your life. But there are some things I can stand on. There's some things that I believe to the very core of my being, and they are this. I believe that his forgiveness is stronger than your sin. I believe with all of my heart that his guidance is stronger than your confusion, that his promises remain more true than your fear. I believe that love conquers hate. I believe that hope is still stronger than um, despair. I believe that God still answers prayers and I believe that, that God's mercies are new every single moment and I believe all of that because 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus was born in a manger in the town of Bethlehem and, and the movement that he started, it's still going strong today and there have been governments and civilizations and cultures that keep coming and going but the movement that Jesus started is stronger today than it ever has and the light that he shined is brighter today than when it started. And so those are the things that I hold on to for hope. When I feel like I have nothing left. And I know, I know that there's a lot of you right now that are brokenhearted. And again, I don't wanna make light of that. There's one more promise I'm gonna share with you as we wrap up today. And it's Psalms 34, and this applies to everybody, but I just have this feeling right now that there's a couple of you in this room, maybe a couple of you watching this online who are heartbroken. And the promise that you need to be aware of more than any other right now, you're not gonna hear me tell you, oh, it's gonna get better, oh, it'll be better next week, oh, everything you want is gonna happen, but I will promise you this, you are not alone. You're not alone. And don't take my word for it, take God's word for it, right? It says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that a few of you today? You're just brokenhearted, you feel crushed. You feel all alone and you wonder if God knows or if God cares and I'm just here to tell you, he does. And there is hope. Hold on to that hope. Cling to those promises just like the early believers did. Because I believe with all my heart, when you choose hope, anything's possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think one of the most amazing themes throughout the entire Christmas story is that an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God 
willingly chose to take the form of a human being to come down and be born to peasant parents, to be laid in a manger so that your promises that you were with us would never have to be doubted again because our God came in the flesh to be near the brokenhearted. He immersed himself in the darkness with a bright light so that we would never, ever have to lose hope no matter what circumstantially was happening around us. God, for those who limped into church today, they're struggling, they're hurting, they feel crushed, they feel heartbroken, I pray that they'll just be reminded of your hope. They're reminded that there's one God and he is a good God and he loves us deeply and he not only makes promises, he fulfills those promises. And God, I pray that we will cling on to any shred of hope that we possibly can because when we hold on to your hope, it opens our eyes and we begin to seek and scan and search for your goodness in our life, which I know is there and it's evident, but we have to open our eyes because hope often comes in such a different form than what we were expecting. God, I pray for open eyes this week. I pray for people who cling on to a hope believing that their God is not done yet and that tomorrow does not have to be like today and 2024 does not have to be like 2023 because we worship an all-powerful God who keeps his promises. So God, fill us with a hope that's beyond anything that we can manufacture on our own. For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Amen. Okay, real quick, don't run, don't leave. I got two really important things for you. The first one is this. Um, as you know, we're in the full throes of GOC, lots of shows left. Would you just take some time this week to pray for the staff, for the hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who are giving up so much time? They've been working on this for months and they're already exhausted. So they need a little extra encouragement, a little extra prayer for you guys as they kind of head into this next chapter of it. And then the other thing is that we're launching a bunch of Advent groups. Some of you are familiar with Advent, some of you are not. Simply, it's a season to help you keep focused on Jesus throughout the holidays, all right? That's all it is. We've created a, a kind of an Advent study to help you stay focused, stay focused on hope throughout the season, and we created some community groups that you can join. They're just three weeks long, all right? And so the reason this is important is because God has used community in my life over and over to confront my desire to give up. For those of you who need hope, Engaging with some other uh, believers in community over these next few weeks could be essential. So just go to northridgechurch.com backslash advent and you can find out all the information on how you can join a group. You can download that advent study right there. I really encourage you to do that. It'll be a fun three weeks to help you keep focused on Jesus throughout all the craziness that we're gonna experience, all right? Love you guys. Hope you have an amazing week. We will see you next week and as we continue the series. God bless.